Well, I invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. And I'll invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. You may be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word today, we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for its instruction. We give you thanks for its warnings. Lord, as we consider uh, the nature and the person of the betrayal of Christ, uh, may, we, may your Spirit uh, guide us, uh, s- search us, seek our, search our hearts that we might... Um, that we might be awakened to any, whether, whether it is we, anyone here is, is truly a, a Judas in the sense of a betrayer, a traitor, one who confesses Christ, but would betray you, or whether it, we be like the disciples uh, who, who Jesus will later say will, will be scattered when, uh, when the shepherd is struck and and that uh, there be a, even a hint of betrayal in us that would betray you. Lord, I pray that you would use today's text to, to, to uh, instill the fear of the Lord in us, as well as the, the extent and the, the readiness of the mercy and forgiveness of Christ that is available to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, it takes it time to develop meaningful relationships and trust with other people, right? It takes time as well as a variety of experiences, shared labor, challenges, rest, 
and everything in between that and the time that goes with that to deepen and strengthen such bonds between one another, between loved ones, between friends, with family, in a community. But it only takes a single moment to destroy it, doesn't it? If you think of all the time, all the investment we can put into developing and growing these relationships, all it takes is a single moment to just, for it all to, to, to fall to pieces. And I'm, I'm not sure if there is any experience quite so disorientating and so devastating as being betrayed by a trusted friend, by a husband or a wife, by a parent or a child. Uh, betrayal is an arrow that cuts deeper than the flesh. Like, no matter what types of things people could do to hurt us physically, there's nothing quite like the depths to which betrayal can cut. To the very core of what we believe to be true about reality and about the people that we love. As Matthew's focus has turned resolutely towards the crucifixion of Christ, we've been observing some of the preliminary preparations being made uh, by a variety of different characters, from a variety of different perspectives, as, as the preparations are being made uh, for Christ to go to the cross. And Jesus himself has been, we saw that he had been preparing his disciples again for the fourth and last time, telling them that he would die in two days. And, and then we saw, meanwhile, the chief priests and the elders, they're taking counsel together uh, how they can destroy the Lord's anointed. And then most recently we observed the undignified scene uh, of worship involving the shockingly lavished worship of Jesus expressed by this miscellaneous woman in the house of Simon the leper while facing the criticism of, of the disciples. But today's passage presses forward with the preparations of an enemy much more intimately known to Christ more sinister and disturbing in nature. So we're looking at Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Uh, so terrible, and yet so integral to the suffering of Christ that it has been retained within the very fabric of the institution of the Lord's Supper, which the church would go on to recall as a physical and visible memorial of Christ's death until he comes again, which we observe weekly. That this, this very event of betrayal, if you, if, you looked at the wor- if you pay attention to the words of institution, and we'll do that later today, is included in that. It's the, known as the night when Christ, uh, before when Christ was betrayed. And so let's begin... Uh, look together with Matthew's identification of the betrayer. Uh, and then and, and the initial preparations made for Christ's betrayal. So, so first, we, he cuts right to it. We look at the betrayer. Verse 14, he says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. And the, the likely timeline places this immediately after the woman's anointing of Jesus with that, that very expensive ointment, 
which induced the scandalized criticism of the disciples, which John, the Gospel of John chapter 12 reveals that criticism of all the disciples was initiated by Judas. In John 12, verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And John comments, and so he gives us insight here, and he says, He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So we, we, we see that insight, that's, and we're, we're coming just from that scene. Judas has, has departed, and, is, and it says he's gone to the chief priests. And we know from verse 4 already that the priests and leaders, they did not want to provoke a riot amongst the crowds that were pouring into Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. Right? This was a very busy time, a, a very uh, important time. And so they, did, they were... They, they didn't want to do it while everyone was there. But the potential of being able to quietly remove him from the public scene throughout this period would have also had its appeal among them. They didn't want to do it during Passover, but if there was some way that it could be done outside of the public eye, we could see how this would have appealed to them. The, lead, the religious leaders did not come to Judas, we see. But Judas secretly and voluntarily puts himself forward to the chief priests. In verse 15, it says, he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, m- many speculate and maybe you might speculate as to the various possible motives of Judas. Why what what brought him to this place? And we do, we as well as we even saw in John, we can get various insights into that. But the other uh, the other and the other gospels they also mention Satan's involvement in influencing Judas and possessing him as well. But the only explicit motive we are given in Matthew's gospel here really is greed. It's money. He simply asks them to name the price they'd be willing to pay in order to have Jesus handed over to them uh, out of the public eye. And and this is consistent also with the event that just took place and his his being upset over this uh, this lavish gift that was given that was spent on Christ. Um, that he wasn't able to get his own part from. We know from verse 4 already um, that the priests and the leaders did not want to provoke a riot amongst the crowds, as I said. But again, this would have had an appeal to them. And, and we don't, again, while we, we can see that his motive was money, that's not the... I, I think as we go through and we seek an application... The point is, is that whether it's money or something else, uh, it doesn't, in, in light of the whole context and of what he's doing, it seems frivolous, no matter what we do. The, to, to, to betray Christ, uh, there are, it doesn't matter what reasons we give, what, what excuses, what sins, it's, it's all going to seem just absolutely folly, folly um, as in a, an attempt to justify what, is, what he's about to do. 30 pieces of silver. 
It's not, wasn't that much. Um, 30 pieces of silver was the ransom price of a slave, according to Exodus 21, verse 32. And that was all that it took to seal Judas's resolve. And it says, and from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. There was no going back at this point, it seems. However, however, we will see, um, although everything we'll see is, is really set in stone and God's sovereign will, his sovereign hand we can see is over all of this. And yet it seems like Judas is, every, also every occasion is given to show that Judas is acting on his own behalf, that he, he, it is within his ability to turn, to, to change his mind. But of course, that is not how it went, and nor was that how it was ordained. And so while the betrayal is a common and effective means of attacking an enemy, it's not, it, we can also I, just distinguish that not all enemy at, uh, attacks involve betrayal, right? So all betrayal is an attack, but not all at- attacks upon an enemy will in- involve betraying, being, uh, betraying someone, being a traitor, as we have studied Matthew, we've seen time and time again how Christ has been no stranger to being repeatedly cornered and attacked and ridiculed by the civil and religious rulers of his day. That's, that's nothing new to this point in, in, uh, in Christ's journey to the cross. But until now, the attacks have exclusively come from outside. Uh, from outside of his inner circle of trusted companions and the supporters of his ministry. So in, in identifying Judas as the betrayer, the text makes plain the contextual fact which places his actions within the realm of betrayal, what make it cl- technically classified as being betrayal. And that is the fact that Judas Iscariot, it says, was one of the twelve in verse 14. It specifically points that out, that this was one of the twelve. One of the men whom Jesus had been pouring his heart and soul into on a daily basis for over three years. Betrayal always comes from within. Or behind, if you think of it in that term. Not, it's never from without. And this is what makes betrayal an entirely different beast from the various other forms of attack we may face from the enemy in our daily lives. It is the fact that we have the ability to face with, our, with, with the normal attacks and challenges we face, that we, we, can, we can face them, we can confront them, uh, we can confront our enemies, uh, which sets betrayal apart from the unsuspected thrust of our brother's sword from behind our back as you, stand, as you stand upon the city wall looking out, prepared to fend off any who dare to threaten your people and yet the, the sword comes from behind. There, there is, just by its very nature, there's really no way of seeing it coming. And alas, the most devastating blow is that which comes from Within And I, I've said it before, but this above all was the factor which most knocked me off my feet throughout the whole 
COVID fiasco. I, I was so convinced and set upon defending the church, right? Just as I, just as I was growing and, and, and stepping into ministry, leading up to that point, it was always, you're always just focused on the outside and, and defending the church and her purity from that which would seek to break in and, and, and infiltrate the doors of the church. That for the most of that, for the most part of that first year, I was totally disorientated and paralyzed because it, the, the criticism, the attack, the, the deception had come from within, from behind enemy lines, our lines. Paralyzed by the fears and criticisms and the winsome and smart sounding analysis of those whom I was convinced were standing on the same side that I stood upon. That all up until that point, sometimes the advancing with me, the kingdom of God. And then we come to this point in which it seems like the attack was not coming from the outside, but the inside. And Jesus warned his disciples, this was the kind of thing that they could expect if they were to persevere in following him. In Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus said, Brother will deliver brother over to death. The word deliver there is the same word translated betray, depending on its context. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, he says to them. But it wasn't until this point in their walk with Christ that they would now get a taste of the first and foremost betrayal of their master from one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot which would set the precedent for the countless betrayals to come throughout the disciples' lives uh, who would be hated for Christ's sake. So so that that takes us through the betrayer and now we're going to move on. And, and I, I intentionally put this with the next passage. Some people will, and, and, and in some sense, it's intermediary. Some people will include the next passage in the institution of the Lord's Supper, which follows after. And rightly so, it's fitting there. But I couldn't help but see how uh, Matthew is setting this aside as a continuation, that, that this is going hand in hand with identifying Judas as the betrayer uh, the discussion of, of the setting of betrayal will, that we see here uh, continues to magnify and to expose um, the, the depths of what has t- is taking place here in attacking Christ. So we come to the setting of betrayal. In verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. As Matthew has been showing each step of the way towards Jesus' death, Christ's sovereign orchestration 
of all that is taking place is again being clearly demonstrated as we see the disciples' successful completion of, those, of these specific instructions, uh, unique instructions, right, but, and specific uh, that Jesus gives them to prepare for the Passover feast. And, yet in, and also, note, in comparison to the other Gospels, Matthew keeps these details to a minimum. There, there are many more details that Jesus gave that could really shine a light on how much Christ knows is going on and how, how in control he truly is over the, the circumstances. But Matthew gives us this view here, which is sufficient to make that point, that, that nothing is happening um, that will take Christ by surprise here uh, in, in regards to the sovereign plan of God. But while this is no doubt setting the scene for the Last uh, Supper, the Passover meal, and the institution of the bread and wine as a memorial of the cost and the purchase of the new covenant of the death, uh, uh, in the death of Christ... The focus upon Judas' betrayal is still in sight here in verse 21 to 25. So we'll get to that in the next point. And so I want to draw your attention to the fact that Matthew is also clearly displaying the intimate context surrounding and leading up to the betrayal itself. So while this is a concept we generally can understand and experience today when we share a meal together with people, it is helpful to note how much more so this would, it, how much more so this is the case in many ancient cultures, um, as well as uh, many cultures in the East, especially today. How eating a meal together was an open uh, indication, declaration of one's trust and allegiance to the people that you ate and drank with. This is part of the significance of uh, in church discipline. And when Paul warns the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, and he says not to eat or associate uh, with the immoral, with brothers who, 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 claim the number, who claim the name of Christ, and yet live in a way that is contrary to him. He says not even, that you are not even to eat with such a one. Reclining at table together was a sign of personal religious and political unity and friendship and loyalty. And, and verse 20 completes the setting of this scene. And it says, when it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. Again, I think that's just, that's more, would have been more significant to its original hearers than we, than we can grasp the depths of the nature of this scene. Here the context is being set to reveal the full-blown, cold-hearted betrayal being prepared by Judas. Not merely as a betrayal of Christ himself, though primarily so, but also of the entire cohort of the disciples whom Christ has been mentoring and instructing and ministering and feasting alongside one another for over three years. And so this, is, this sets the scene, again, for just to understand the, the, how far gone, how, how the extent of this betrayal. And then we come to this last section, the revealing and condemnation of betrayal. Verse 21. 
As they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I don't know if you can imagine the abrupt, the abrupt shock and disturbance this would have brought upon this, this solemn, solemn and joyful occasion. I, I, I guess the only way for you to imagine is to imagine if, if I were to just say that to you today, right? That one of you here today among us is going to, bet, is going to betray us. Um, it's a little harder to think of what for. Maybe put yourself in the COVID scene. Right when we were illegally gathering, and the, and the thought that somebody could call the police, somebody could rat us out and tell us, uh, you know, name our location, and to say and to, and to realize that it's actually somebody here among us. Jesus had been warning them that he would soon be delivered up to be crucified. But now in the most intimate and communal setting imaginable, Jesus specifically reveals that he would be betrayed by one of his own. And they were very sorrowful, it says, verse 22, and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? I notice even there, the, the humility, like, an awareness of how sinful we all are. They, they, they need to ask the question. For all they know, their trust, their, their understanding that if, if Jesus says it, it, it must be true. I don't think it's me. But could it be me? Is it I, Lord? And this is, as we, I'm going to come back to this to close, but I think this is a question we ought to ask ourselves. Ask the Lord in prayer. We all know of people who have spent, I, I, I know of people who, and the, the different parable, the parable of, of the weeds that grow up in the, the, the different soil, right, and, or up in the rocks. And, and, and we've, I've known people who, you know, they came to Christ and for that first year, they're on fire for Him and they're doing, it seems like they're just doing, they're walking in obedience and doing great things for Him and then, and then they just totally... At the first sign of pressure, they collapse and they, they will betray him in a second. But we also know, and, and there's stories, and, um, but I'm sure you know of people who have walked with Christ for years upon years. Some of, some of us longer than we've been alive. Only to walk away from Christ again uh, at the pressure point of their life. Whether it was something that came from without or from within. They betray the one who had given them the only hope and promise of life eternal. Is it I, Lord? And I, I will say, that, like again, I can't say this like Jesus said it because he knew. And he, he, right, he, he, could, he had uh, divine insight into this. But I, I can say, not as a prophet, but as someone who has studied the prophets and someone who has looked at history, there probably is one of you in this room, if not more than one of you, who will betray Christ. Who, if I were to ask you today, right? Are you, do you believe in Christ? Will you, have you committed your life to Christ? And you will absolutely wholeheartedly confess to that. 
All I'm saying is that history reveals that there are that there's a high likelihood that somebody here, if you were to ask that question, is it I, Lord? Uh, the answer, if 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 you if you would speak back, would be there is one is someone here that that describes. And so ask it now, while the day of salvation is still here. Jesus answered, and he said, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now all of the disciples had been partaking of the same common meal and would have been dipping their bread and meat in the same uh, bowl of sauce. And so this, this statement would not really have exposed Judas amongst them, um, but it would have further served to drive this point home to expose the damning depths of this betrayal. Since he was sharing the table, the very, again, it's just emphasizing this, the, the context of this meal, sharing this table of fellowship with the man that he was about to betray, eating the same bread, drinking from the same cup. In verse 24, it says, The Son of Man goes as it is, as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So this was yet another reminder that Jesus, of course, uh, that, that, that Jesus' course to the cross had been firmly fixed by God before the foundation of the world. He says the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. However, nowhere in Scripture is God's sovereign decree ever suggested to absolve man of his responsibility and guilt for his own actions and sin. Peter likewise explained in Acts 22, verse 23, he said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So again, so here he goes, he goes beyond Judas and the, the one by whom he was betrayed. And he goes all the way to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And yet he says, and then he's able to land it and say, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God's sovereign decree, his sovereign plan does not absolve us of our own responsibility and guilt. The betrayer would not, in truth, be able to excuse his horrendous sin by shifting the blame upon God, right? Saying, God, you, what choice did I have? This was your plan. You, this was, uh, as he says, um, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. He says, I was born. You put me into this world. This is the very reason by which I, you, you allowed me to... To continue bearing patiently with me, raising him up as an object of God's wrath and judgment. Pointing his finger, I can imagine, at the divine purpose of God. God, you did this. Judas, on his part, may say, as in Romans 9, he, might, he may say, Why does God still find fault? Right? For who can resist his will? To which Jesus' condemnation rings. Woe to that man 
by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The forgiveness of sins will never be found in the absolution of your responsibility and your accountability for the things that you've done. Your forgiveness will not be found in absolving your responsibility, in, in, uh, in shifting the blame for what you've done, either towards God or towards someone else, or both. Rather, it can only be found in owning and recognizing, as Jonathan Edwards had said, that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except your sin that made your salvation necessary. And this is precisely what Judas did not do. You see. In verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. You have said so was a, basically a Greek expression that put the responsibility back onto the questioner. So maybe more in English, we would say, we would say um, what, what, you, know, you tell me, Judas. You tell me. You know the answer to that, to that question. But again, it's putting it back onto him, which doesn't necessarily, amongst the 12, exclusively um, point him out. But it does identify Christ's knowledge of it. And so as I, as I wrap this up and close in, in, in some application, I want you to notice the difference in the dreaded question earlier asked by the other disciples in verse 22 as compared to the question asked by Judas here uh, in verse 25. In verse 22, It says, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Judas, in verse 25, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? While Lord and Rabbi can have varying degrees of meaning and sometimes used even interchangeably, they have... They have an overlap of, of meaning. Both can, can mean master, sir. Uh, rabbi can be basically an equivalent to Lord. And rabbi is the Hebrew word that would, would be used. Lord would be the Greek word. Um, but again, depending on context, rabbi would have more of an emphasis upon, especially in the Hebrew context, of being given to a teacher, someone who was put in a position of teaching and authority in that sense. Whereas we know the word Lord, the Greek word kurios, uh, has a much broader use, um, oftentimes referring to the master-slave relationship, but often being used in reference to God as the Lord, right? As the one who, who controls and the one who commands uh, and um, the one who is Lord over heaven and earth, right? And so again, depending on the context, it, it may be nothing. 
or my, but, but I'm saying, actually, I'm looking at the context, I believe it sets these two differing titles against each other, not as being interchangeable with one another, but as revealing the fundamental difference between Judas and the other, and the other disciples. The difference between the disciple who would betray Christ and be handed over to the bitter consequences of his sin versus the disciples who would likewise, they would likewise abandon Christ. They would betray Christ to an extent. We'll see that in the coming passages. And yet ultimately would be restored by faith in his resurrection. And so many people today are willing to identify Jesus as a respectable teacher and leader. And for many people who can sit in church and, and you can listen to these messages uh, and, and you can learn from them and you can admire Jesus for, for his wisdom and the truths that he speaks. But I believe few will confess him as their Lord. And still even fewer will, fi- will be found who believe and obey him as Lord. To recognize, as Peter did when, when he was asked if he was prepared to, if he was going to turn back from following Christ because he was saying some hard things and all the, the kind of the, 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 the bystanders and followers, they were, that the, the curious followers uh, had had enough. And, and so Jesus asks him, are, are, you, are you done as well, Peter? And Peter answers him, and it's John six sixty eight. He says, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're, you're the Lord. In other words, even if I wanted to, you are Lord. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then note, in that context, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And again, as I said, for, as we seek to apply this, um, We, we, we have no insight into the eternal decrees of God. I don't know who is... Uh, we, 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 I'm not Christ, and so I cannot sit here and say that... Uh, uh, the reality is, is that if you are a Judas, you, it is predestined. It, is, it has been foreordained by God, and there is nothing you can do. There is nothing I could say here today to change your mind, to convince you, to, to flee. But the reality is, is, is that I don't know that, and I don't know... Uh, I don't know your hearts. I don't know God's plan for your life. Um, But I do know. As he said, woe to that man. By whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. What I can tell you is that it, it is a question worth bringing to the Lord. And asking him and, and, and asking him to search your heart and to reveal the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And, and, and part of that measure that I'm 
proposing to you that we can use as you ask him to search you will be that distinguishing factor, I believe. Is Christ Lord or is he the teacher? Right? I know a lot of teachers. I know a lot of scholars. I know of a lot of pastors who they can, uh, just like the scribes and the Pharisees, could tell you the scriptures like the back of their hand. And they, and they know the ins and outs of it. But is Christ the Lord of their life? Is Christ Lord of the world? Is Christ Lord and head of the church? Right? He might be teacher in all these regards, but is he Lord? Is his word final? Is his word the words of eternal life? That will be, as you seek to discern and, and, and have the Spirit lead you and, and, assure, and bring assurance and confirmation of your salvation, that will be the mark which identifies uh, the true disciple versus the Judas here among us. And ultimately, that is only something that Christ and his Spirit can reveal. Uh, again, as I said, we can all confess. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do, right? Did I not cast out demons? So, so it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's just a matter of um, just what you say. But in, your, in, in truth and in your heart, I do believe that it is that Lord teacher distinct, distinction. Of course, if he is Lord, he is also your teacher. But it is possible for him to be your teacher and not be your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And your words are life to us. Sometimes your words, um, that means in our folly or sin, that your word hurts us, uh, that it cuts us, that it reveals things in us that, are, uh, that maybe we, are, we don't like or we're, we're scared to, to look into. But Lord, we receive your word as life and we, we, we trust that you have only the good of those who love you in mind. And so, Lord, we pray and we thank you for this word of, again, of, of warning, of admonition, of exhortation. Lord, that uh, I pray that in your grace and mercy, what I've said in terms of the likelihood of, of there being a Judas among us. Well, Lord, you, I'm limited to likelihoods. To, to just to general knowledge and history, but you aren't. And so by, in your grace and power, I pray that there would not be a Judas here among us, that if there be anyone who would be tempted in that way or prone in that way, Lord, that you in your grace and mercy would startle them and awaken them with this, in the same way that the disciples may have been awakened from their stupor or as they're eating that meal, Lord, and, that, and they hear, heard that statement that one of you would betray him, Lord, that if there be any here today who have, have been um, floundering in their faith and their walk with you, that, that, that you would awaken them and, and, and alert them to the danger uh, that, that, that faces anyone who does not Recognize and who is not living uh, in submission to you as Lord. So, Lord, we ask that you would, I ask that you would work among us in a, a new and a fresh way. Uh, that you would bring assurance that as we, as people search their hearts, Lord, that, that this would be a time of 
of affirmation and, and an assurance of what uh, of our of our salvation that it is not found in ourselves. It is not found in the certainty of of our walk and of our not betraying you, but that that our perseverance and assurance is found in the fact that Christ, you are Lord. <laughs> that you are not only Savior. But you are Lord. That means that you can not only save us from our sins, but you can also guarantee it. That you can also carry it out. And that no, no enemy, uh, no demonic power can separate us from the love of Christ. That has been revealed to us in the cross. So God, may you be honored. May Christ be exalted today. Here in and among us uh, and outside of us as we go out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.